Ian, welcome to episode 21 of Hubshots. How are you, Craig? I'm well. And let me ask you, um, do you have your life insurance in order? I do, but are you trying to sell me some? I am, actually. You know, I had one of those calls, you know, where they yes. cold call you, try and sell your life insurance, completely uncomfortable call. That's right. I got off the call and I was like, how can this possibly work? And normally when we get those calls, I'm, yes. I, you kind of think, well, it must work, right? <laughs> Otherwise, why would they keep doing it? I was actually thinking today, you know what? I bet it doesn't work. I bet they're not tracking ROI and I bet they're losing money on it. And the reason I, th- I thought this was timely is because it's the exact opposite of inbound marketing. And yes. what are we going to talk about in this episode? So this episode, we've got a special guest, Ryan Benici, who's the marketing director at HubSpot. And we're going to name this episode Remarkability. Yeah. Right? Because it- that's really what it's about. And it's really about inbound and how people at HubSpot are making a difference, right? It's a fascinating interview and it's the first of seven. We've been really fortunate. We spent a whole day in at HubSpot Sydney talking with seven marketing experts. Ryan's the first one. And uh, if you're interested in meeting some of these HubSpot experts, what's coming up? On the 16th of March is the HubSpot user group in Sydney. So I'd encourage you, we'll put a link there. Register. Then register soon and then come along, meet people, meet partners, meet the HubSpot team. There are lots of people from HubSpot. There's technical guys, there's sales guys, there's marketing guys. Come and talk to them because you know what? You can learn so much from just being there and meeting those people. It's a really great night. And thanks so much to Chris Fell and G2M Solutions. They put in all the hard work organizing it and putting it on. It's really worthwhile attending. That's right. So we're going to go to the interview with Ryan. Just a few things. We'll, we'll kind of sum up after the interview, but just a few things that we found so useful about it because he's such a high-level strategic thinker. Yes. And like all of these HubSpot people, they're so smart. It's, it's actually free how smart and well thought out these people are. But if you're a marketing manager, and especially if you're thinking along career progression, going from marketing manager to marketing director, CMO, yes. that kind of thing, he had some really useful insights there, I thought. He certainly did. Another great one that I loved was, you know, picking the right channels. You know, I think everybody tries to do be everything on every channel. And it's kind of my philosophy as well. I would say like, just pick one, be the master of it and move on to the next. And he kind of iterated that, you know, picking the right ones that are right for your business. Yeah. He talks about co-partnering, I think, which is really insightful and really interesting. Their approach to that. And also interesting to hear his thoughts on webinars, which is kind of the staple of many B2B marketing uh, managers. And he's like, well, you know what? We're probably not going to do much more of that. So, that's really interesting to hear. Yeah. And I think the really one thing that really stood out to me was how well he knew his numbers I'll use a little example and you'll talk about it, is that, you know, if you've got this many sales guys who are requiring marketing qualified leads, he needs to work back and work out how many leads we need to generate and what the time frame is. Because that's also really important because, you know, there's a time lag between stuff happening and then becoming marketing qualified. So, it was really interesting to, you could just see that he knew his numbers and he understood what needed to happen and what the process was. And I think as marketing managers and even people in sales on the other side, they really need to understand the whole end-to-end process. And that's what I loved about it. Yeah. And then he's right at the end of the interview. I think this is probably my favorite uh, little little snippet from yes. the interview where he talks about their hiring process at HubSpot. Yes. And just that they hire remarkable people that are ultra inquisitive. And it's really, really interesting how he talks about their approach and, yes. and how long he took to hire a recent person for his team. So, Correct. 
certainly lots of gems to to get from the episode. So yes, so let's go take it over to Ryan Benici, marketing director at HubSpot Asia Pacific. Uh, yeah, so yeah, I'm the marketing director across um, Asia Pac. So we have three subregions in Asia Pacific. We have Australia, New Zealand, Southeast Asia, and very soon to be Japan. Excellent. And how long have you been in your role? Just over a year now. So it's wow. been an exciting 12, 13 months. Excellent. We're going to ask you a few questions, and particularly in terms of marketing managers who are listening to this, we're really interested in your perspectives across what's happening in Australia and Asia Pac. So let's start with a few questions just around um, things that you're seeing marketing managers face as challenges at the moment and uh, how you're seeing that change in the last year. Yeah, look, I mean, I think if you look over like the last few years, the amount of channels and technologies that marketing managers have to use today has grown exponentially. So if you think like back 10, 20 years, the main channels for marketers were like TV, radio, it was very different. And so now I think there's, a, I've, I've looked at a matrix where there's more than like 150 different channels that you can be on today as a marketing manager. So I think one of the big struggles is trying to first manage all of those different channels. And the second piece I think is pushing back on your boss and saying, well, yes, no, we don't need to do all of these channels. I think marketing managers are uh, traditionally very bad at prioritizing and focusing on kind of like the key thing they need to do. And really delivering on that. Because if you try and do too many things, like you'll deliver it none. So a good example would be when we launch a blog at HubSpot. So we've just launched our HubSpot Japan blog. I mean, people have said like, how many leads are you generating? How many MQLs are you generating? We actually don't really care about that at all. When we launch a blog, all we care about is traffic and blog subscribers. So those two key metrics. So whenever um, my Japan marketing manager comes to me and asks me questions about like what he should do, like it'll always come back to like of the things that you could do, which of them will drive traffic and subscribers to be its greatest. So kind of like that thing that like you question everything from, you know, I think Facebook have monthly or weekly active users. Like to us, when we're growing a blog, it's the number of subscribers. Um, so just prioritizing, I think, is really important for marketing managers today. Now, on the flip side of that, what is something that people are doing really well? Like marketing managers are doing great in, a- in the APAC region. Yeah, good question. So I think marketing managers in APAC are fantastic at email marketing and email nurturing, actually. Um, I think, you know, you've had lots of, they've had a lot of time to kind of look at their counterparts in the US and in EMEA and to realize that, okay, email is a big deal. You grow your database, you communicate with them, you move them down the funnel. It's really important. Um, where I think that they're missing out right now, and I'm seeing this start to change, you know, since HubSpot has launched here, is that they're realizing that there's only so much you can do with email marketing and email nurturing, right? Like it's not growing your database. If, in fact, it's actually cannibalizing, right? Every send you, you, you make, you'll lose people from your subscription. So I think marketing managers have kind of, they've done that for a few years now and their databases are getting smaller and they're having to use pay to top it back up. Um, and they're starting to realize that they can be a little bit smarter about using kind of blogging and other inbound methods to grow the top of the funnel while they kind of, you know, optimize the middle of the funnel for email. So they're doing email well, but I think they could just get a little bit better at the top of the funnel alongside email because they work together. In terms of marketing managers achieving ROI, what are you seeing in Australia in terms of their ability to do that and whether they're actually tracking ROI on the right things? Yeah, so I was actually at a a Twitter lunch not too long ago and there was some CMOs at this lunch and some really big companies in Australia. Um, And it was really interesting because we were having a chat about ROI and a couple of the, the folks that were in this room that are all really senior marketing leaders were talking about like the metrics that they share with sales and their business are email open rates. 
So I think at the, like a lot of marketers, I think are very still kind of like in those tactical engagement metrics. And they're really important, I think, for more junior people on the team to be working at optimizing. Right. But I think at an ROI perspective, you're wanting to be looking at uh, the number of leads that are converting into ops because that tells you about lead quality. You're wanting to be looking at the number of MQLs that are being accepted by sales and then ultimately sales generated revenue through marketing. So at HubSpot, um, our sales team only work leads and MQLs that are generated by marketing. There's no outbound that we do. It's obviously <laughs> quite the contrary to inbound. So it makes it really easy for us to measure the impact of marketing because we're generating all the leads that they're actually working. Um, and I think that's a really nice thing about ROI when you do it in an inbound way, marketing really kind of like is steering the ship and there's a really good alignment between marketing and sales because sales doesn't do outbound. Like marketing is the thing that they need to then close their deals. So, I mean, yeah, ROI, I think at a high level is really important. I just think a lot of the time managers and CMOs get their metrics a little bit, you know, misaligned. And I think, you know, talking about an email open rate with a sales leader is going to create friction as opposed to create alignment. Can I just build on that point? Because you've mentioned marketing managers and CMOs. Now, are these different people? And if so, how are they different? And in fact, what are their KPIs and what they're tracking in terms of ROI? Are they normally different, do you see? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, look, I think it depends on the size of the organization. So, you know, someone might be called a CMO at, you know, a startup of 10 people and they will be effectively doing all forms of marketing. So, they're really... They're everyone. <laughs> um, but I mean, you know, I think in the traditional sense, the CMO is the person that's aligning the vision of the brand, um, the company, like, and, and under, understanding how the strategy of marketing will work for them. Yeah. Um, and pushing and challenging kind of sales to think about things differently and to be good salespeople. I think when you get, and so for them, reporting is, you know, of utmost importance, I think. So being able to understand what their team, if they have a team, what levers that team is pulling and how that's impacting sales. And that kind of comes back to the metrics we touched on before. I think if you're a marketing manager supporting a CMO or a marketing director, as a side note, I think CMO marketing director are kind of the same thing in Australia. Okay. I don't feel like, unless you're kind of a big enterprise like Combank, you don't yeah. really have a CMO role in, in Australia. Um, so we view that as the same. But anyway, so the team, I guess, supporting that marketing leader, I think for them, it's really important to to be able to execute on the goals of the CMO. And a big part of that comes down to using platforms and technologies that are aligned so they don't lose data between multiple different platforms. Um, make, making sure that the platforms they're using are actually aligned with the vision of what they're trying to achieve. Um, so if that's B2C or a B2B company, that will, that'll change. Um, but I think at the end of the day, the marketer manager is definitely more of like that doing person. So for them, they're the person that is feeling, I think, more of the struggles today than say that CMO, because the CMO is a little bit shielded from technology. They're a little bit shielded from all the different channels. To them, sometimes new channels are a shiny tool to use. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that can work sometimes and it's good to try new things. So right now we actually just launched a campaign on Product Hunt for one of our free tools. Um, And within a week, we generated more than like 100,000 leads through Product Hunt. And we're like the number 28th most upvoted product on Product Hunt of all time for free. Like literally a person on my team just built this campaign out. So, I mean, leveraging, I think, different channels is important, right? So as a marketing manager, as a leader, you want to be thinking about that. But you have to have kind of like your house in order before you do those things. Great insight. Fantastic. That was really good. So, okay, so I guess that's one thing you've done really well recently. Now, share with us something else that you have done that's a bit different to what other people would probably think of that's worked really well in the last six months. 
Okay, that's interesting. Um, let me maybe I can tell you about something that hasn't worked well for yeah, us. Go for it. Um, yeah. So I think something that's really challenging um, for us is that you know we've got this really strong, amazing blog that generates you know I think between three and five million unique visitors a month. Um, you know, all through organic means, through great content, um, through great sharing on social. Um, but the thing that I think is really challenging for us as HubSpot in a region that also speaks English is that we don't necessarily have the lever that the US team has with that blog. We don't control like an ANZ English blog. So you'll see other vendors, they'll typically do that. They'll create yep. an ANZ blog. Um, one of my previous companies used to have one like that. And it's really more of like a branding thing. They do it to kind of, to kind of show that the market that they're there, they're creating content. But at the end of the day, the content really isn't different, right? How you use Facebook marketing in Australia is not very different to how you use Facebook marketing in the US. Mm. So people don't search for like how to do Facebook marketing in insert region. Right. Uh, in English speaking countries anyways, they don't. So that's kind of interesting because from an inbound playbook perspective, we're limited by like one of the biggest levers, which yep. is the blog. So for us, we've had to become really creative at using other channels. And a big part of that is using co-marketing partners. Yeah. So what's something that we do that we love, so we'll do campaigns with Twitter, with LinkedIn, with Google, we'll create content with them together and then we'll host this content on our landing page. We'll send an email out to our database. Twitter will send an email out to their database. And then at the, like everyone that completes that form has checked a box that says, I'm happy with both partners sharing leads. And they're, they're okay with that because the content's really good quality. So they kind of the threshold for them wanting to give their details is enough that they're, they're willing. Um, and to me, that's like a no brainer for, for marketers in region. Once again, again, once you have your blogging and everything set up, because it's giving you access to someone else's database really quickly. So, you know, we have database of hundreds of thousands of people in APAC. Twitter has, you know, potentially more than that, maybe millions of people. So they can capitalize on our content, we can capitalize on their database, and it's a nice way to organically grow each other's offerings. So I think co-marketing is a big area where people can do a lot more, and I haven't seen many companies do it very well, to be honest. Like most co-marketing is doing a blog post with someone as yeah. opposed to a lead gen offer. Um, yeah, so, you've done quite a few webinars as well, haven't you? Yeah. How, how has that worked? Because I know in the US it's really big. Yeah. With Australia or APAC, how has that worked for you guys in generating interest and keeping that conversation happening? Yeah, it's look, it's worked. It's There's been, I think, mixed reviews. We haven't done a heap. We've probably done about six to yeah. eight webinars in the past year. Um, and it's hard to look at a trend between them. You know, the first one we did was with Guy Kawasaki, and that was just yeah. soon after I started at HubSpot. And that was, I think that did really well, partially because we'd never done a webinar on APAC before. Correct. So to the database and to the audience here, it was like, wow, Guy Kawasaki will be live on a webinar with our time zone. Yep. So that, that is part of it. Like if you can get a high profile person in a local time zone, the time zone really appreciates that because typically they're used to hearing a recorded webinar. So that did well. So I think for something like that, we would get, you know, several thousand people actually register for it and maybe 1,000 or so actually attend the webinar, which is pretty good, I think. Um, and then the great thing about that, obviously, is you then record the webinar and it's evergreen. It just lives on. So people can keep watching it and keep generating yep. leads. But then the amount of effort to go into a webinar is quite a lot of coordination in creating the content. Yep. Um, and we did this, a similar kind of webinar with Twitter that worked really, really well about how to tweet smarter. So how yep. to kind of leverage Twitter lead gen cards and then drive people to your website and then how you can use the HubSpot CMS platform to show them relevant content to move them into your database and into your funnel and sell to them. So like that's a beautiful alignment because Twitter to do something that we don't do and we can yep. connect really beautifully with their vision and vice versa. So those kind of webinars worked. I think this year, I don't think we'll necessarily do more webinars, to be honest. 
I think we want to focus more on creating good, really interesting and interactive content as well. So things that, like our website grader, they're a tool that a marketer can use or any buyer persona can use that generates a lead for you through the process of using the tool. Um, I think is an interesting kind of play. Yes, I think, I mean, I've used the website grader now for two potential customers and just showed that to them and they were kind of blown away and said, well, why didn't you show this to me before? Yeah, it's a a great tool, right? And and exactly, because it's helping them and all they need to do to do it is enter their website and their email Email, address. So many good points there. I I actually want to, I know we're coming up to time, but there's a few that that raised. I just wanted to pick up on some. The co-partnering one was just yes. excellent. I, we we should have a whole episode on co-partnering. We'd love to come back and chat to you about that. I think that's a, yeah, that's think a really key topic because a lot of marketing managers don't do that. So mm. that's a fantastic point. But I wanted to quickly move on to sales and marketing alignment, sure. if that's okay, because it's kind of a it's a new topic in Australia, although I know in the US they've really been uh, putting a lot of focus on it. And I guess what we're interested in knowing in, say, for a marketing manager listening to this, how important do you think sales marketing alignment is? Or actually, what is it? You, yeah, kind of touched, it? you, you actually mm. touched on it at the start of the interview. But yeah, what, what, how do you see that? Um, yeah. and how would you explain So, I mean, from, the, from a B2B marketing and sales line perspective, it's like crucial because marketing is nothing without sales and vice versa. Um, so I think it's really important. So the way we think about it is at the beginning of every year, we look at the number of quota carrying sales reps that we have in region. Um, you know, Sydney, Singapore, Japan, they're growing really quickly. So every year it's like doubling, which poses like fun challenges for marketing because it means we have to keep doubling our lead flow and number of MQLs. But so we go, we go back from that. So we start to look at, okay, the number of sales reps and what the quota will be for the sales manager for each month. We then would look at like our average sales duration. So say from when someone becomes an opportunity in Salesforce to becoming, you know, a close customer, um, that for us is, oh, I'm not sure the exact number, let's just say two months, for example. Yeah. So we would then backdate all of the, the MQLs that we need to get for that month will have to arrive two months earlier, right? Because you need to give the sales reps two months to work them to then close them in the month when the quota is due. So we kind of, we're just like very thoughtful, I think, about how we build out like what we do very much aligned to making sure that sales hits. I think they can see that very clearly. And so from there, we will work out, you know, a number of MQLs that we want to generate per sales rep, depending on the average sales price. So it'll be different for every company. And we kind of go about it that way, really. Um, and, and it works, which is really nice. So... So it's very much data-driven. You're basically doing it by the numbers. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's all about the data, I think. And and on the flip side, it's also about making sales commit to... So we commit to a number of MQLs for sales, but then having sales commit to like working those MQLs. So I get a report sent to me every week from my team showing me the number of unworked MQL accounts and it shows me like by sales manager and by sales rep. Right. So if like I see someone's not working MQLs, you know, we'll have a chat with them. If there's a quality issue, then that's like on us to fix. And yeah. we have like actual quantitative metrics to actually tell us whether the quality is going down or up versus just qualitative from like out of a rep's mouth. Yeah. Um, and if that's the case, we'll fix it. If it's not, then it's kind of like a question between us and the sales rep. It's like, okay, well, you're not working our MQLs will pull you off the rotator then for a month until right. you work those MQLs. So yeah. there's kind of like an agreement between us there because, you know, if we're not working at the end of the day, I always think about enterprise value. So if one sales rep isn't working those MQLs, like another would like to be working them, yeah. but they can't because they're in the other person's name. Yeah. So it's not like a personal thing between us and that one sales rep. It's more like that one sales rep is slowing the business down from growing yeah. and pulling them off the rotator will help. 
So now we've talked about numbers. Now I, having hung out with you guys at Inbound, understanding you seem to have a close relationship and people know each other, which I think is sometimes foreign in businesses that we deal with. What has been the success to having that? Is it because you guys sit next to each other? You have lunches with each other? What What is it? Yeah, I think um, HubSpot is just very fanatical about hiring. Yeah. So when I joined HubSpot, uh, I mean, they flew me out to Boston from Australia. I did 20 interviews over two days. I was only in Boston for 48 hours. So very like intense interviewing is one part of it. And I think the other thing is we only really hire people that we would like want to work with and we would find interesting. And that's not to say that like we're homogeneously all the same. We're all very different. But um, we definitely like look for certain qualities in people. So we look for people that are innately curious. Yeah. Um, because like if you're innately curious, you're always kind of questioning things and wanting to learn more and, and you're interested. We look for people that are digital natives. So, you know, you, you, we're probably not going to hire you if you don't have a LinkedIn profile and a Twitter account, because if you're not kind of practicing certain inbound marketing methods, then how will you be able to do that? And then we just look for like, there's, you know, we obviously have our heart, you know, our heart methodology, which is all about being humble, being effective, being adaptable, being remarkable and being transparent. We want people that are effective at their job so they can do it. And if not can do it right now, they've got the potential to get there. For example, if we're hiring someone straight out of uni, um, we want them to be really adaptable because in a fast growing business, every year your KPIs and kind of focus of what you're working on changes. And then I really love the, the thing that we look for is like remarkability. So everyone has to be remarkable in some way. And that's not to say like they all need to be type A people that are, you know, exhibitionists or, um, you know, extroverts. Um, but they just need to have something that they're like really passionate about. And because when you start to talk to them about their passion, regardless of whether you feel the same passion, it's just easy to connect with those kinds of people. Yeah. So everyone on my team, everyone across the board at HubSpot has something that's like really that they're passionate about and unique about. For some people, it's, you know, brewing beer. For some people, it's kite surfing. Yeah. Um, for some people, it's like having dogs in the office. You know, just all differs. And the last piece is transparency. So as an organization across the board, we are just like crazily transparent. We see all of the numbers, every employee from like ARPU to CAC to CAC to LTV, LTV to CAC, all of that sort of stuff. So everyone kind of understands the health of the business and everyone understands like the part they play in making the business continue to be healthy. So that's pretty fun. So I think, yeah, when you look for people with those kinds of values and hire um, like hard and long. So like it took me like 10 months to hire someone onto my team for one role. I did 150 interviews. Like I wasn't going to settle, you know? So I think we just have kind of like that mentality is like I prefer to do more work and not settle and hire an amazing person. Well, Craig, how good was that interview with Ryan? Thank you so much, Ryan, for that interview. That was so useful. You know what? I really like that product hunt example. I know. How good was that? Just thinking outside of the box, isn't it? That's amazing. And the good thing about that is we're going to pick up next week with James Gilbert when we yes. talk, uh, talk with him about some of his experiences and some of the amazing campaigns he's been doing lately. It's just phenomenal. There is a lot that we can learn from James. All right. Now, let's just recap on some of the great things that we picked up. Do you want to start, Craig? Yeah, well, look, uh, the product hunt was a feature, but the co-partnering, I think, is a really key strategy for marketing managers to be looking at this year, building on um, the examples that Ryan covered there. Yeah, no, don't you think it's interesting doing less webinars? Who would have thought, right? Again, you've got to test and measure. It might work like in this space. It might not work. But you know what? In your B2B space, it might really work. So again, test and measure those results. I love it. Test and measure. And yeah, being remarkable. 
I think that's that's the takeaway. You know, this will come up with some of the other interviews that we had, this whole idea of being remarkable, thinking differently, being adaptable, always being willing to um, try. challenge your own yes. assumptions, try something new, and as, as, as we always say, test and measure, yeah. Yeah, and I think if we talk about test and measure, I think picking the right metrics to focus on, that was another key highlight, and also reporting the right ROI metrics – and motivating other departments. Yeah. Like, I thought, how good is that? I know, that's right. Isn't that the case? Quite often as marketing uh, departments, we report, oh, I'd love this example, email open rates. That's yeah, right. Like, what would you think the sales team really care about that? No, they just want quality leads. Correct. Yeah. So, thank you so much again to Ryan Benici for uh, being a guest on HubShots. We loved it. And Craig, that's the end of the episode. All we right. shall see you next week. See you next week, Ian. Hey there. Thanks for listening to this episode of HubShots. For show notes and the latest HubSpot news and tips, please visit us at hubshots.com.